strong additionality determination by checking the investment characteristics of the activity is a necessary condition if you have NDCs that are not credible or maybe overestimated and have difficult characteristics. This is an episode of the podcast series Spot on Climate, brought to you by the Climate Area of the Florence School of Regulation. Welcome everyone, I'm Albert Ferrari, Research Associate at FSR Climate. In this episode, I am pleased to welcome Axel Mikhailova, Head of the Group on International Climate Policy at the University of Zurich. Axel is one of the leading experts on international climate policies and on the design of the market mechanisms of the Paris Agreement and the Kyoto Protocol. With him, we'll discuss how international carbon markets can be in line with the long-term target of the Paris Agreement. Axel, thank you for being with us. I'm very happy to be your host and looking forward to your questions. As mentioned in the previous podcast episode with André Marcou, one of the focus of the COP26 will be on the Paris Agreement rulebook on Article 6, the set of rules governing the international cooperation mechanisms. Among the issues to be discussed, double counting as a prominent place. While it would seem reasonable not to credit the abatement of the same tone of CO2 to multiple parties, starkly opposing views and understanding exist on this issue. What relevance do you think double counting will have on the upcoming talks? And in your opinion, what would be the desirable results? Yes, thank you. This is a very important question. Actually, we want to prevent that credits come into the system that are accounted both by the seller and the buyer. In the negotiations in the past years, we've seen a convergence that the so-called corresponding adjustment, that means the double bookkeeping, that uh, what the seller sells is actually taken into account in the emissions balance and that uh, the buyer, of course, gets this credited to its emission balance, that this is being undertaken generally and not only under the Article 6.2, the bilateral collaboration, but also under the Article 6.4, which is the mechanism that is the successor for the clean development mechanism. Of course, we still have a few holdouts like Brazil say, no, we don't want the corresponding adjustment. We want to continue like we did it under the Kyoto Protocol. We sell and we don't account but all sensible actors are in line that such corresponding adjustment are to be undertaken. And I'm firmly of the opinion that this is necessary to generate sufficient trust in these markets. One aspect which is very important is whether corresponding adjustment would also need to be undertaken for the use of internationally transferred credits in the voluntary markets. And there, of course, we see a big fight between those who want to see very large voluntary markets who think that the corresponding adjustment is a, yeah, a distraction and will be a burden on the voluntary market. And we've seen a number of approaches yeah, to circumvent this uh, double bookkeeping. For example, some say, yeah, that one as a company would take credit not for 
let's say, the value of the emission reduction, but just the financial contribution. And there one needs to be very careful because if the terminology is got wrong, we'll have another kind of loophole. So I would hope that we get a very clear rule that corresponding adjustment by the seller needs to be undertaken for all international transactions. And I think that the voluntary market gold rush that we currently see might risk to have a meteoric downfall if this issue is not taken seriously by the voluntary market players. Thank you very much. It's indeed very interesting. As you may know, uh, at FSR, our project LabDigit centers on linking the emission trading systems or ETSs. ETS linking could bring sizable gains in terms of cost effectiveness and emission abatement. How could ETS linking contribute to the achievement of the Paris objective? For example, do you think that ETS allowances could or should be exchanged with internationally transferred mitigation outcomes, in short, ETMOS, under the Paris Agreement? Well, this is an important topic and actually already almost a decade ago, there was a long discussion about how to link the European trading scheme with the Australian trading scheme. I would say the emission trading schemes of, are only as good as the stringency of the cap. If we have a cap that is actually not binding, the emission trading scheme doesn't make sense because it doesn't create scarcity. So we have seen historically that the emission trading schemes have frequently been over-allocated. And this is changing a bit now. We see that, for example, under European ETS, we see a real scarcity coming up due to the market stability reserve. But in other emission trading schemes around the world, we still have this over-allocation. And of course, if you link an over-allocated system with a stringent system, then you dilute the stringent system. So it's like in monetary markets. If you have bad money, uh, that will drive out the good money. And therefore, one needs to be really careful about the linking of emission trading schemes and ensure that only those systems are linked that are stringent. So I would hope that the regulators who think about uh, linking are really careful to prevent this contamination by the systems that are over-allocated. What one also needs to say that to date, we have only very few successful linkages. We have the Quebec-California link. We have the link between Switzerland and the EU. Quebec and California, they have shown that transboundary linkage is possible and having similar regulatory conditions for the systems are possible, even in jurisdictions that have different characteristics. So I think it's a good example. But yeah, the other examples, uh, they are not giving a lot of information uh, how this could be done under Article 6, because yeah, the Swiss and the EU system, of course, Switzerland is very small, so it's a price taker and it will just be an appendix to the European system. And if we want to have a really interesting linkage, 
then the system should be of similar size. Actually, we did a study for a big utility active in various Latin American countries about the potential for linking of emission trading schemes, for example, between Chile, Peru, and Colombia. And these economies, they are fairly similar. They are fairly of the same size. And there, of course, Article 6 linking of ETS could be really interesting. But it will not be panacea. And I'm sure that we need to learn more what are the critical guardrails to ensure a good linking. And as I said in the beginning, overallocation needs to be avoided by all means. Indeed, the ambition of the ETS and the stringency is also in the research that we're doing within the Project FDigit has been identified as core in ensuring a successful linking and making sure that the two link ETSs are comparable and therefore the linking beneficial. Now I come to my third question about the nationally determined contributions or NDCs, which correspond to climate national plan that parties submit as their contribution to global climate action under the Paris Agreement. The pledged NDCs are very diverse in their nature. Most parties submitted absolute indices, but some parties, especially developing countries, preferred to submit relative indices, for example, based on the carbon intensity targets. Other indices even include targets not directly related to greenhouse gases, such as the share of renewable energy sources in the total energy consumption. In your view, how can carbon market, especially the market-based mechanism under the Paris Agreement, fit in this design given this set of different nationally determined contributions? This is a very important question. And of course, the NDCs, they are the essence of the Paris Agreement. And if the carbon markets are unable to take into account this diversity, then of course, the carbon markets will not be able to succeed to the aim to increase the ambition of the Paris system. But I think we have now 20 years of experience with international carbon markets also under different conditions. And these show that the markets can actually be made consistent with very different approaches to national climate change commitments. For example, under Kyoto Protocol, the Clean Development Mechanism thrived even in the absence of the NDCs because the host countries, developing countries, didn't have any emission commitments at all. And of course, that's, I would say, the worst case because it's clear you need to ensure that the mitigation that you achieve through the market mechanism in the country actually is real and additional. And of course, this question of additionality has been heavily contested under the CDM. There were those from the private sector who said, oh yeah, anything we are doing is additional automatically. And then there were those, and I belong to the second group, who said, no, you need to check whether an activity is actually driven by the revenue from the sale of the credits. And it should not be a business as usual activity. We all know that over the years, for example, renewable energy has become uh, very cost effective. And uh, in many circumstances now is the cheapest electricity generation option. So it would of course be clear that such 
cheapest electricity generation option would not be additional and should not qualify for generating carbon credits under the international carbon markets. So strong additionality determination by checking the investment characteristics of the activity is a necessary condition if you have NDCs that are not credible or maybe overestimated and have difficult characteristics. Of course, if you have a very stringent NDC that is very well determined, you no longer need an additionality check of the activity because given the NDC is stringent and you have a corresponding adjustment, uh, the government who sells something which is not additional will be uh, have it creating a problem for itself. And therefore, under these conditions, additionality will be safeguarded. But if this is not the case, if the NDC doesn't exist or is having difficult characteristics, then the additionality test is a necessary condition for activities to get into the carbon markets. Similarly, the question of baseline determination is crucial. So if you have a stringent NDC, then of course this stringent NDC will be helping you to determine the baseline from which the emission reduction is actually being undertaken. If you don't have an NDC at all or an NDC that has problematic metrics, then you need to be very careful how to assess the baseline what actually would be a business as usual emission path for a certain sector. And how can you ensure that uh, this assessment is conservative, that you don't blow up the baseline artificially. I'm just giving the example of joint implementation under the Kyoto Protocol, where a number of countries in transition actually transferred credits that were coming from activities that either didn't exist or that uh, were generating fictitious emission reductions. For example, the infamous coal heap fire extinction in Ukraine. Uh, yeah, there was an argument that uh, the piles of stuff that the coal mines in the Donbass region had uh, yeah, piled up over the decades, that this would be burning and that, of course, you could avoid this emission of the burning of coal by uh, very simple interventions. And I think there were uh, yeah, almost 100 of these projects in the list of the Ukrainian joint implementation. Of course, all this was used to launder the surplus of emissions allowances, the so-called assigned amount units. And we need to prevent a repetition of this. But overall, it can be done and we have enough experience how to do it. Now, when we look into the metrics uh, and the question, can we actually have carbon markets for non-greenhouse gas metrics? Of course, the carbon market, so the unit, the credit, the ITMO in itself should normally be denominated in CO2 equivalent. But you could think about a conversion factor. For example, you have an NDC that is denominated in terms of renewable energy generation, kilowatt hour of renewable energy. Uh, 
Then, of course, you can assess this according to and grid emission factor uh, as it is being done under the CDM. And thereby, you can calculate uh, what is the impact on the emissions intensity uh, of uh, this renewable energy NDC component. So it can be done, but it needs to be done carefully. Again, of course, you need to ensure that the conversion factor is conservative and doesn't generate too many credits. But overall, I know that especially the Arab uh, world is very eager to have NDCs that are denominated not in greenhouse gas terms, but in energy-related terms. Uh, I've worked in these countries quite intensively, so I know why they want it, because they, of course, think about their economic diversification. I think it is important not to... Uh, throw these countries out of the system because uh, that would have definitely problematic repercussions. And therefore, I think it's important to try to think about how the conversion can be undertaken. But yeah, while it is important to safeguard the integrity of the carbon markets. Thank you. That's very clear. And this brings the podcast to an end and actually the project LiveDigit, which stands for Deepening International Cooperation on Emissions Trading, also is a, an expression in Latin that means life will tell. So even if we reached an agreement on the rules for implementing Article 6 at the next COP, the practical contribution to international carbon market to reach the target of the Paris Agreement, despite being central, would still need to be further explored. Thank you, Axel, for your time and your insight. Thank you very much. And I'm wishing a lot of success to the project. And I'm sure that many negotiators and also experts will like to take these recommendations into account. Thank you and have a good day. Thank you, everyone. And stay tuned for a further episode of Spot on Climate.